are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. If someone were to ask you what Easter meant, I would hope that your reply would be two words the resurrection. That's it. It's not family time. It's not vacation time. It's not Easter egg hunt time. It's not over commercialized capitalism time. It's the resurrection. But so what? We all know that the resurrection is important, but what's the big deal? Well, that's what we're going to go into today. The resurrection is arguably the most amazing, the most awesome claim in all of history. Just think of the implications of the resurrection if it wasn't true. Then for centuries of all the Christians who have existed and all the Christian traditions all over the world would be fake. All the great humanitarian efforts done in the name of Christ and his kingdom would have been done in vain. All the amazing arts from Da Vinci and Michelangelo, all the great music composed, the beautiful hymns sung, the amazing concerts inspired by faith would all have been actually inspired by human glory rather than the glory of God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. He says, If Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen away in sleep in Christ are lost. If only for us in this life we have, we have hope in Christ, we are to be most pitied. Most pitied more than all men. If the resurrection was false, if it was fake, we are all fools because the very cornerstone of our faith would fall. Everything we have built our entire lives on would topple over. The resurrection is more than just a bookend to the Passion Week. It is the beginning Today, this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, the resurrection is the beginning of God's redemptive plan. It is the source of our everlasting hope. It is the authentication of the identity of Jesus Christ. It is the very pillar of our faith. You see, resurrection, this Easter Resurrection Sunday is more than just a day. It is more than just a holiday. It's more than just an opportunity for us to gather together as family and have some ham and have some turkey and sing and song, song, sing some songs. You see, it's more than all that. It is everything. It is your life. That is the resurrection. It is the purpose of your life. It gives you the meaning of your life. Now, I want to refute a few theories that people have against the credibility of the resurrection. Because this is the one thing. They'll say, okay, I'll believe in the historical Jesus. There's even secular evidence for that. I'll go ahead and believe in the apostles and the origins of the church and the early church fathers. Okay, but, he, but the thing is, the resurrection is the one thing I cannot and will not accept. And these are some of the things that they've brought up. Some people thought that the women were at the wrong grave. Aside from the insulting assumption that the most devoted women who loved and absolutely adored and absolutely worshipped Christ, that they couldn't figure out where the very public tomb of the very public figure was buried at, these women were no fools. 
They had watched the entire burial process two days prior, and they were making trips to the gravesite, to the tomb, during daytime, during the broad daylight. The women, they were, yes, grieving, but they were not in hysteria. Not only that, we know that in John chapter 20, after the women told the disciples that the tomb was empty, Peter and John ran ahead of them. Ahead of them. Did they also make the same mistake, taking another detour, go around the back alley and find the, the other wrong tomb? No, they got there. They weren't wrong. The tomb was empty because Christ is risen from the dead. Other people believe in another theory. It's called the swoon theory. This theory states that Christ didn't actually die, but that he just passed out. People believe this. People are using this type of theory to, to lay claim that the resurrection didn't actually happen. So this theory states that Christ, he fainted. Then later on, he woke up in the tomb, and then he walked right on out. Newsweek did an article on this a few years ago, and they laughed at this theory, and they called it fanciful. This is ridiculous, they said. Who was Jesus crucified by? By incompetent, friendly disciples? No, he was executed by professional Roman executioners. People don't simply walk away from these Roman executions. If this theory was true, then we have to somehow believe that after Jesus getting scourged, which, by the way, oftentimes kills the victim because it would shred the flesh of the victim to the point where they would die either from blunt trauma or excessive bleeding. But not only that, he had the crucifixion. That after the crucifixion, which was the most longest and most agonizing method of execution, that Jesus, who had experienced the scourging, the whipping, the breaking of the body, right? And he had experienced a crucifixion, waiting hours to die. And then now he finds himself cold, without food, without medical attention. Somehow, he somehow miraculously revived on his own. But there's more. That in his weakened, half-dead state, he would free himself from the tightly wound grave clothes in which he was wrapped from head to toe, then he would roll back the massive stone that covered, that would require at least three to four full-grown men to roll out. He would then frighten off these Roman military elite guards, and then he would walk several miles on wounded, punctured feet, and then he would come before his disciples and convince them that he was victorious over death. That's the swoon theory. Fanciful indeed. Some people even thought that thieves stole the body. We know that there were grave robbers during that time, even today. And we also know that Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb. So I guess it's plausible, but there would be no motive. What reason would anyone risk their lives to steal a body? If Jesus was buried with gold and valuables and things like that, then maybe that could happen. But inside the tomb was only the body of Christ. Everything that Jesus owned, which is what he wore, was already divided up by the Roman guards. He had nothing. There was nothing on Jesus. And there was nothing inside the tomb but Jesus. Furthermore, the grave was sealed and it was guarded by Roman soldiers. The fact that Pilate specifically set up guards to prevent anyone from stealing the body of Christ actually helps validate the Bible's claims. But not only that, if they stole the body, why did these random robbers leave the grave clothes neatly folded in place? 
Have you ever had your car or home broken into? I've actually had my car broken into many, many years ago. And let me tell you, these thieves didn't pick up my McDonald's wrappers. They didn't vacuum the shards of glass that they broke. No, in fact, what they did was they emptied my glove compartment, all these things. They, they, they just spread it around my car. They got the center console and they flipped that over. They even got a knife and they tried to open and try to steal my ancient stereo. They, were, they must have been desperate. They don't just leave things neatly in place. They make a mess. There's no evidence to support this notion either. Another theory is that the disciples have somehow stolen the body of Christ. Well, this was the answer made up by the Roman government authorities to keep themselves out of trouble. But this is also precisely the potential problem that caused Pilate to seal the tomb and set the guards there in the first place. So again, with all the information that you know now, we're to expect that a couple of women and a band of frightened disciples who, by the way, fled when Jesus was first taken captive, have somehow now grown bold and have somehow now outsmarted the armed Roman guards. They have now somehow successfully removed that massive stone. They have somehow entered the tomb and, stole, and stolen the body, leaving the grave clothes neatly folded, and they got away undetected. Then they began to preach the resurrection as the cornerstone of their faith, and then in the process they get jailed, they get whipped, they get scourged, they get flogged, they get stoned, and one by one by one they get executed for the belief that Jesus was alive? Would that make any sense in dying for a lie? Absolutely not. So the question that we have to pose today is not, did Christ rise from the dead, people? But because he rose from the dead, what does it mean? Not if, but because. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can be saved. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we who believe are forgiven we're pardoned, we're justified, we're made righteous. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he is able to save even the hardest of sinners, even the most criminal, even the most hated, even the most villainous. He is able, because Jesus rose from the dead, he has defeated death. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he can raise us from the dead, and we will never die again. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he raises you and me from spiritual death. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he can raise us also from physical death. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he will raise our fellow Christian brothers and sisters from the dead. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he can heal anything in your life, the mental, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual sickness that we endure. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can receive mercy and his grace during our greatest time of need. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have someone constantly, not just your mom, not just your dad, not just your grandma, but Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God, interceding on behalf of you, praying 
praying for you constantly, 24-7, until he sees you face to face. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he can fulfill this promise to give us the Holy Spirit, to give us God who will walk with us for the rest of our lives because Jesus is rose from the dead. He has complete authority over the principalities, complete authority, even all over all demonic forces, over Satan, and he has everything else under his hands too. He is the creator of all things. Because Jesus rose from the dead, the church, you and I, we belong to him and only him. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can be certain of his presence that God is with us. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can now have fellowship with him, and one day we will eat with him and one day we will see him and be with him forevermore because Jesus rose from the dead he is present to see you through any trial and any tribulation and any pain and any confusion that you may face here and now because Jesus rose from the dead we have the hope of eternal life though you may be poor right now you will have the most richest and greatest eternal inheritance ever because Jesus rose from the dead you and I we can live holy new lives born again lives new creatures lives, transformed lives, because Jesus rose from the dead, he will return, just as he said, because Jesus rose from the dead, he will one day settle all accounts of injustices and bring peace and terror and completely eliminate all pain and all suffering and all wickedness, because Jesus rose from the dead, we can enjoy his presence for all eternity, because Jesus rose from the dead. Don't tell me today is just Easter. Don't tell me today is only about the Easter egg. Don't tell me today is just about family gathering, that today is just a Christian tradition. Today is Christianity. Today is faith. Today is your life. Today, because of today, your true life has begun. There was a story of a Korean pastor up in Philadelphia and how he came to faith. He watched his father die. His father was a devout and faithful Buddhist all his life. And his father lived a truly exemplary life in accordance with the most careful traditions of Buddhism. But when his father was dying, and as the son sat by next to him, watching him, the father was suddenly seized with fear and terrorized by the hopeless finality of death. And it was at that moment, that crucial moment of that day, of that moment, that the son deserted Buddhism because he saw it for what it really was. Like all other religions, it held absolutely no hope in the face of death. And eventually, by God's grace, the young man came to find hope in Christ and became a pastor. In contrast to that, to that Buddhist father, there was this great English scientist named Sir Michael Faraday. And he too was on his deathbed. Only this time he was surrounded by some journalists trying to get as much information, last words of wisdom, last words of insight from this great scientist. And so they said to him, what are your speculations for life after death? And he said, speculations? I know nothing about speculations. I am resting on certainties. I know that my Redeemer lives, and because he lives, I too shall live. 
Church, today, we do not have to live in speculation. You can choose to ignore the evidence, but God has made it plain. You see, the tomb is empty because Christ Jesus reigns. He is risen. Happy Resurrection Day. Let's pray. What could possibly be the only response we could ever offer up to our Lord that could be remotely appropriate? And that is simply worship. Just worship. Jesus, you are worthy of worship. Jesus, in all that you have done for us, we worship you. In all that you are, we worship you. Despite our sins, in spite of all the pain that we have caused you and the brokenness and the fellowship between us and God in your obedience, you died on the cross three days ago, and today you rose from the dead to lay claim that everything that you've promised us is true. Brothers and sisters, let's take this opportunity to pray now to give yourself up to the Lord. And perhaps today is the day where you realize the truth of the resurrection. If you want to know the Lord Jesus Christ in an intimate, personal way, right now in your prayer, as you sit in your seats, as your eyes are closed, open your hearts, and submit to him yourself. I have sinned. I know now that I cannot do this on my own. I know now that I cannot approach a perfect and holy God tainted and marred in the sins that I have committed. Lord, because I have committed sins against you. I have rebelled against you. I have transgressed against you. I have sinned against others and of you. There is nothing righteous about me. There is nothing righteous in my thoughts. There is nothing righteous in my actions. There is nothing righteous about my soul. Savior of my soul, come rescue me. I kneel before the throne of grace. And I beg for your forgiveness. I beg for your mercy. I beg for your grace. I know I don't deserve it. I know I'm the least of anyone here. I'm the worst of all sinners. But Lord, I ask and I beg for your goodness. Not in my works, not in my accomplishments, but in who you are, that you are love, that you are merciful, that you are gracious God. And if we repent and we confess with our mouths, you will be good to forgive. If you do that, you see, it's, it's by trusting and having faith and believing in the accomplished work of Christ Jesus 
that you will be saved. Don't think, God, what else do I have to do? Nothing. What more do I need to accomplish? Nothing. Do I need to earn anything? You can't earn anything. It's by trusting and having faith in the death, the life, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And today, if you do that, you will be saved and you will be confident. You can be confident that for all of eternity, you will be with the Lord. Let's take this time and pray. Let's pray.